This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kamaregal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging, and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be listening. Hi, my name's Luan and this is the Rewritten Mead podcast, where I talk all things breast reconstruction after a mastectomy. Because let's say it like it is, having a mastectomy can be devastating. Sifting through all the information is overwhelming, the medical jargon's bamboozling, and it can be just plain scary and lonely. But you're not alone. That's why we're here. On the Rewritten Me pod, I talk to leading surgeons about all aspects of reconstruction. Nipples, belly buttons, foobs, Dieppe flap, and staying flat. I also talk to healthcare professionals who can help with everyday practical advice to support your mental, physical and emotional well-being. And I talk to the wonderful women from our reconstruction community who so generously share their stories with you. We're all here to help you make an holistic, informed decision that's right for you so that you can have a say in how you rewrite your story. Hi everyone, welcome back to Rewritten Me. Today we are talking about navigating finances. When you're diagnosed with breast cancer, thinking about finances, the cost of treatment and surgery can be another extremely stressful anxiety point that you really don't want to be thinking about. And it can also be an uncomfortable discussion to have with your medical team. Navigating finances for breast reconstruction can also be confusing when you consider the different healthcare systems that we have in Australia, public and private. And then you need to consider how private healthcare cover varies greatly from one fund to another, and that the costs through the private system with different surgeons are also variable. So in today's episode, we will focus on some of the general aspects of finances that you need to consider or ask your surgeon or team about as you plan your surgery. And that will be specifically in relation to reconstruction following a breast cancer diagnosis. Of course, some people need to navigate the finances for reconstruction because they have an increased genetic risk of breast cancer. And for this, there are many more considerations that need discussing in more detail, which I think needs a standalone episode. And of course, we can only talk about how things as they stand today on the day of recording, which is the 3rd of July 2023, because things do change. So bearing all that in mind, I'm really thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Melanie Walker, the President of Breast Surgeons of Australia and New Zealand, or Breast Surge ANZ, to help us understand how to navigate reconstruction after a breast cancer diagnosis. Melanie Walker is an experienced specialist breast surgeon in Melbourne, in private practice, and holds public VMO appointments at Alfred Health, Clinical Lead Breast Surgery, and Monash Health, as well as Breast Screen Victoria. She also serves as one of the clinical leads on the Australian Breast Device Registry. Melanie obtained her FRAX in 2002. She then undertook a further three years training in breast surgery in the UK, where she developed her special interest in oncoplastic breast surgery and breast ultrasound. And as I mentioned, Melanie is the president of Breast Surge ANZ and is committed to ensuring standards in the training and the credentialing of breast surgeons. And she is actually a founding member, having served on its council since the Society's inception in 2010. So welcome, Melanie. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. <laughs> you're in Melbourne, aren't you? Just want to say that I know I mentioned that you practice yes. down in Melbourne. You're coming to us from Melbourne today, aren't you? How is it down there? 
breathing. <laughs> Cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about up in Sydney? So yeah, it's um it's still a bit cold, but I don't think it's as probably as cold as Melbourne. Um, we do have some listeners that are outside of Australia, quite a few in America. So um, if you're not not used to the geography, Sydney is a bit further north than Melbourne, but that actually in our hemisphere means that Melbourne is a little bit colder. But it's great for you to join us today. Thank you so much. I know you're extremely busy. Um, before we start to talk about the finances, I wanted to just ask if you could quickly explain what Breast Surge ANZ is, because I just mentioned it in your introduction there, um, but it's also been mentioned in some of the episodes. Could you let us know what that society is about? Um, yeah, so Breast Surge ANZ, or the Breast Surgeons of Australia and New Zealand, so we're the society that represents breast surgeons, so that we're general surgeons who've subspecialised in the treatment of um, breast disease, particularly breast cancer. Um, a number of our members mm. do do reconstruction, um, obviously in Australia and um, in other parts of the world, breast reconstruction is also done by plastic surgeons um, that have a slightly different skill set. Mm. So um, we have a um, uh, what we call a post-fellowship uh, training program. So all um, breast surgeons are fellows of the Royal Australia, Australasian College of Surgeons. Um, but we run a two-year um, training program for people who have their fracs to gain you know, more um, training in specifically in breast surgery and breast reconstruction. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks so much um, for explaining that and outlining that for us. As I've mentioned in other episodes, I'm originally from the UK. And when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2017, I'd been living in Australia for about three years. And, you know, I'd only ever really accessed healthcare for minor routine things. So navigating Medicare was a whole a new learning for me. Um, and for those listening outside of Australia, Medicare is the insurance scheme that we have here that gives Australian citizens and permanent residents access to healthcare, um, including a wide range of health and hospital services at no or low cost and is funded by the taxpayers. And I was wondering, Melanie, if you could talk initially about some of the terms that we hear in relation to Medicare before we talk about specifically about reconstruction. There's lots of terms. I know when I was researching my reconstruction, there was all these terms around Medicare. And I wondered if we could talk a bit about those firstly. We hear one of the terms that is mentioned is the Medicare Benefit Schedule or the MBS. So what is that? So that's a list of um, professional health professional services. Um, that the government subsidises. Um, and so there are a whole list of what are called item numbers on this schedule that cover you know, all sorts of um, specialty treatment, um, surgical and non-surgical, radiological, uh, pathological services. It's a whole, when it was, when we used to have things in print, a big book that you would um, search through, yeah. you can now go online to MBS online and plug in a provider number that if you've been provided with one and it will give a descriptor. So there's a, every item number has a descriptor. So for surgeons, um, those, that schedule, um, you know, contains the numbers that we use to bill for seeing patients in our rooms. Um, and for doing procedures. So you mentioned the item codes there. What are the Medicare rebates that we hear about? Yeah, so each item number has a rebate associated with it that's set by the government. Um, so that's that's what meant. Um, and 
So if, we, if you see a GP, then the rebate is 100% of that, whatever that fee has been set, uh, set at. But if you see, I think for a specialist, it's, you get 85% um, of that fee. Um, and Medicare does also subsidise treatment in both public and private hospitals. So in private hospitals, Medicare actually are paying 75% of whatever that fee has been set at and then your health insurance pays the other 25%. But what that schedule sets as a fee may not be what your uh, um, specialist um, has set as their fee and hence the, the gap. Okay, so that's the gap payment that we hear or sometimes an out-of-pocket. Out-of-pocket, um, yeah. Called. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, so that's the difference between what the rebate is and what the doctor is charging or the health provider the health service is providing okay so some health providers might charge the same fee and therefore there would be no gap but if they charge a higher fee then that's the gap that the patient would pay is that how it works that's how it works yeah so i think um that most um providers in private practice do charge some gaps and that's a good question, isn't it? If you are going into private practice and you're going through the private system is is asking what their fee is up front and they will be able to tell you what that is and what the usual gap is. Yeah. Yes, they should be able to. So when you ring to make an appointment, you should be informed of the fees of that appointment. Um, mm -hmm. And if you're having an operation, then you should be provided with a quote as to what the charges are and the potential out-of-pockets. They're not always... Mm -hmm. known exactly before an operation mm -hmm. and certainly the same with having a test if you sent if you said for a mammogram or an ultrasound or a biopsy um, then the radiology provider should also be able to inform you what the likely um, out-of-pocket is going to be. So those Medicare item numbers then the schedule fee, if there's a gap or not, and you should be able to find that out when you make an appointment if there is going to be a gap. But that can depend on whether you're going through public and private, can't it? Yeah, so in public there, there should be no gaps. So that's 100% of um, outpatient and inpatient episodes are, are covered by Medicare mm -hmm. um, through the Commonwealth and the state governments when you're seen in a public hospital. Okay, so everything should be covered through on, on there if you're going through the public system. I know that's when I've been chatting to some people, um, some women, I know that that's been an area of concern with regards to reconstruction. Um, and some people commented, for instance, that they don't believe certain reconstructions are covered <laughs> by Medicare in the public system. So specifically talking about public now, a reconstruction after a mastectomy because of a cancer diagnosis, is that considered clinically re relevant and therefore covered by Medicare? Yeah, so it's not cosmetic surgery. There are item numbers for breast reconstruction and so therefore they are, it is covered by Medicare. And that's for all forms of, yeah, implant-based and, and your own tissue-based. They all have item numbers. Yeah, because I think that's where I'd heard, I've heard it more than once as well where um, women have said, oh, DEP, which is the type of surgery that I have had, which is tissue taken from the tummy for the breast, is that, um, that you know, it wasn't covered, but they're all covered by Medicare. They are. I mean, there may be 
so so public hospital i mean it's hard to navigate so you know we have a commonwealth government and then you know we have state governments and then within each state government you have health you know the regions are divided up and hospitals and so um you know what some hospitals do provide or what they have the resources to provide may be different um i mean i can only speak Mm -hmm. from my own experience in in that the two public health services where I work that all forms of breast reconstruction are covered um mm-hmm. or, I mean covered's not even the right word you know there's an indication there are surgeons that do it and there's the operating time you know that that's an issue I suppose with with the Dieppe mm-hmm. flaps that they do take up more operating time but they you know that that is a service which is provided so I think if you have mm-hmm. don't have the surgeons who can do that sort of surgery at a particular institution, then they may not offer it. But it doesn't mean that it's not, you know, covered by Medicare. Covered. So I guess it's that's about the access then, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it may not be accessible about where you are. Yeah, I mean, and that but it is covered. It is covered. Yeah. Or certain health, um, yeah. you know, yeah. jurisdictions may have, um, you know some limitations on the services that they um, are, are willing to provide or, or to put money and time and mm-hmm. um, into, but it, it is covered by Medicare. Mm-hmm. So it can be hard for, I think, for a patient, but, you know, if it's not something that's offered where you've been referred, um, then you can try mm-hmm. and seek out referral to another centre that may be able, that can offer it. But I suppose that's knowing mm. how you access that and that can be very difficult um, to get that information. Yeah, and to navigate around that. And I think as well for the for recovery as well, if you've had to travel quite a way for that as well, that can be really hard too, can't it, if you've had to go away from home for yeah. the big surgeries. And that's a, a different yeah. sort of financial cost, isn't it? That's not what's covered and what's not covered, yeah. but the cost of time off work and yeah. time away from home and family. Yeah. So there are things that need to be considered. And I think we talked in some of the other episodes as well is that's a question for when you're talking to your surgeon about the type of reconstruction that you're considering is, you know, what are those recovery times? How long does it take and what do they realistically look like? And, you know, how much work can I do? What help will I need with the children or things like that? When can I drive? You know, they're all questions to get an understanding of that because they can have that financial implication, can't they? Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so thinking about there, we were talking about um, mastectomy because of a cancer diagnosis and whether that's clinically relevant. Um, what about a elective prophylactic mastectomy and then the reconstruction for women at a high risk of breast cancer I mean I mentioned in the introduction we'll probably look at this in a more detail in a separate episode but just to cover on just to sort of cover that off a little bit is that covered by Medicare um, high risk breast cancer mastectomy and reconstruction ah uh, yes yeah. so if you have a mastectomy I mean the mastectomy the item number on the schedule for mastectomy does not require a diagnosis so um, and if you're having a reconstruction, that's a reconstruction. So it, it does, it is, or it's the same item numbers as if you had breast cancer. Mm. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Now I'm going to go through some of the scenarios here, and I and I think we 
I think probably you're going to say that's covered. But these are questions that have been asked by a lot of women um, of me. And I know there are regular questions that come up. So I wondered if we could just go through some of them because they are, some of them are a little bit specific, but just to get a feel and just to sort of reassure women that they can ask these questions as well about what's covered. So we think we've talked about their reconstruction um, after a mastectomy, but we've also in some of the other episodes talked about how reconstruction isn't necessarily always a one and done. There might be another surgery afterwards to achieve the results that somebody wants. So for instance, like nipple reconstruction, I had a DF and then phase two or revision surgery that they sometimes call it. I had my nipple reconstructed. Is nipple reconstruction covered by Medicare? Yes. Yes, it is. So thinking about revision surgery, second phase, secondary surgery, um, some other things that might happen in those surgeries of tidying up scars or dog ears that you hear maybe from a DEP or, um, you know, balancing the volume or the symmetry in a breast if you've had single and, you know, the, the level isn't right there. Is that covered by Medicare, the revision surgery for those types of things? Yes, it would be. There would be item numbers for those procedures. Yeah. Great. Great. And fat grafting and, and liposuction. So um, that can, I thought there'd been a change in that recently. Is that covered now? It is now. There is an odd number for, for lipofilling. That's something that sort of happened in the last, yeah. maybe about a year ago now. Yeah. Yeah, didn't used to be. So that could be of interest if somebody had that had come up previously and that they'd been told that that wasn't something that was available to them. And thinking of those revisions, is there a maximum number of revision surgeries that you can have, keep going back to have things balanced up? I mean, maybe from a, a medically medical point of view, but um, in terms of, you know, how many times yeah. um, you can keep, you know, you want to keep having surgical revision, but, you know, again, there will be an item number for whatever's being done. So mm -hmm. it's not like Medicare says, no, you've had four operations this year and mm. you can't have it anymore. Um, so, that, yeah, so it would be covered, yeah. Yeah. So that's a really good point, isn't it? It's even though it's covered, it may not necessarily be what's right for you. Yeah. I think often, um, I don't want to offend any plastic surgeons, but often like I find with my patients, they're saying, oh, you know, he said I should, um, you know, do this and do this, but I'm not really bothered. I, I'm quite happy with what um, I have mm. now. And I always say, well, you're the, you know, if you're happy, then you can stop you mm. at any time. Um, you don't have to, mm. it's, it's what you think and what you feel it looks like, not what someone else who thinks, you know, I can make it just a little bit better. Yeah. Um, if you're happy, then you don't need to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I remember chatting to one surgeon and they talked about how, you know, and every woman wants something different. So for some women, that's just maybe how they look when they're dressed or mm. they've got the bra on, or it might just be how they catch the, you know, sight of themselves in the mirror. It is very individual, isn't it? And although there may be an opportunity for some revision work to go on. If you don't want that, you don't have to have no, that, do you? No. Is there a maximum length of time after your, um, your you know, your, your reconstruction that you can have those revisions? So if, you know, especially with radiotherapy, sometimes things change on one side. If you've had, uh, you know, radiotherapy to one side and not the other, um, is there a maximum length of time for revision surgery? No, no. Again, there's no time. No. Um, okay. There are no time qualifications on those um, item numbers. Okay. And um, one of the um, regularly asked questions, I think, because in some 
countries it's a little bit different and as you know with social media and the sharing of information that can happen globally now there are different experiences in different countries and one of the questions we regularly get asked is whether somebody's had a breast cancer diagnosis in one breast and they need a mastectomy there whether Medicare covers should they elect to have the removal of the healthy breast and have that reconstructed whether Medicare covers that? Um, yeah, so a, a, a mastectomy on the other side and reconstruction would be covered. I think where there um, are issues, you know, with service provision, so maybe in the public system, there may be um, mm-hmm. some issues about, you know, because there's no survival advantage usually to removing the other breast, mm-hmm. um, there may be some pressures put on the service about that. But um, it's certainly, you know, if you choose to have a mastectomy, that is your choice. And if you choose to have a reconstruction, again, the item number is for a mastectomy and then the the you know the item numbers on the schedule are for the reconstruction they're not tied to a diagnosis but the resources of local okay. services um you know may mean that that's something that you're counseled to say that you know we, we may not be able to provide that um or something to come back mm. and and do later obviously if you're having a dieppe the the time to do mm. the double reconstruction is at the time of the um, the cancer treatment, the, but if you're having an implant-based reconstruction, you can you could always come back at another time and have that have that done. But in private, I didn't. There wouldn't be any mm-hmm. restrictions on that. Okay, thanks. Thank you. And that's um, you mentioning there with the DEP is because um, that's kind of a, a, a single yeah. shot surgery, really, you isn't can't, it? You if can't, you're having a reconstruction yeah. from there, you can't come back later and say, yeah. um, "I want to." Yeah that that half is um, discarded actually so you know you need to and that's why yeah so that if you were having a DF as a reconstruction and wanted both sides and then yeah certainly you'd have to do that at that at that time yeah so it's interesting when I had my DF um I had single reconstruction and it was one of the questions from my plastic surgeon was like well if you take the tissue from one side you do take it from the other as well don't you I was like worried that I would end up with just half, you know, half your tummy gone just taken out of one side <laughs> I know and it seemed like it was such a silly question and I was thinking this is a silly question but I'm going to ask it anyway because I just wasn't sure so um yeah I never have that used but that now means I can't should I need to I wouldn't be able to go back um to that but um anybody listening that that's happened to um check out Dr Bish Solomon's episode when he talks about alternative flap options particularly for people who've had either Tommy Tuck or Dieppe previously. So another question then, before we start to get more into some of the questions that you might want to ask your private surgeon, um, if you've had treatment for breast cancer sort of years ago, and you know, you say you decided you went flat and you want to have a reconstruction now, I don't know, implants or an own tissue reconstruction, is that something that you can come back to years down, down the line? Yeah, you can come back to that at any time. Yeah. I mean, if you've had radi- radiotherapy to the chest wall after a simple mastectomy, then may you know that you may be counselled to wait, uh, you know, at least six months, maybe a bit longer before embarking on that. But in terms mm. of, you know, if you decide mm. seven years after you've had your mastectomy that you want a reconstruction, then yeah, that's that's all covered. 
I think what happens though in public is that if you have a delayed, if you put on a waiting list for a delayed reconstruction, you would usually be mm. a category three, and um, which means ideally that's supposed to be done within a year. Um, but you know, anecdotally mm. from around the country, I'd say it would be very rarely done within a year, and that you may sit on a waiting mm. list for many, many years because that's. Um, you had mm. you've had your cancer treated, and with all the pressures mm. um, on the public system, and particularly now with all the backlog after COVID, these those sort of cases are yeah. are really just put you know they're they're the um, a low priority for for the public system, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. So that and that's again, it's that real differentiation, isn't it, between what is covered and what you are eligible for, but the realities of what what you can access. access yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. The realities of yeah what you can access and how that changes as you said through different uh geographical areas health systems hospitals there's lots of different variables thank you thanks melanie so that's looking at whilst acknowledging the difference between access and cover that's going through there what is covered by medicare with regards to reconstruction after a mastectomy um in those different in those different settings and just to finish that off if we're talking about a public setting if a patient goes into a public hospital as a public patient because some pa patients can go into private patients but if they go as a public patient in a public hospital would they be charged anything for any of that kind of what we just talked about in their surgery could there be any costs not for the actual surgery or the doctor's fees and so forth but I think um there may be some costs for like dressings and pharmacy and I think there are some things that you know um you may end up having to pay partly towards and I think that's also different for mm. different hospitals and different states and so forth so there may be some yeah some costs but that um certainly not for for the actual um, medical episode, the treatment, the admission, the surgery, mm. the pathology, the radiology, all that sort of, that's all covered. That's all covered, thanks. So great question there again, isn't it? So even if in, in the public setting to be asking, will I have any um, out-of-pocket expenses that might come? And it may be, you know, as you said, there might be pharmacy, might be a script that they're given when you leave the hospital, but you've got to pay for that when you go to the pharmacist. Uh, yes, and often maybe your surgeon doesn't actually <laughs> particularly know that that what happens for those things that they're not directly involved in. Mm, yes, yes. So, uh, yeah. Um, breast care, do you think a breast care nurse would be able to help when you go into that? Do they, would they help at all? Yeah, I think they would have, yeah, yeah. they would know about all the sort of um, I mean, normally you would expect that a discharge, any discharge medication would be covered if it's, you know, issued by the hospital pharmacy. I think the, the difference is if you take a script or you're told to go and see your GP and um, for follow-up and mm. um, for medication and so forth. But um, certainly a breast care nurse would, yeah, would know. Oh, right, okay. They're a great font of knowledge, aren't right, they? The, the hospital's breast care nurse. Yeah. They are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always asking <laughs> breast care nurses about things. They do, they just, and they also really know, I think, because they have that local knowledge, you know, like if it's, you're looking for something for support around that as well and 
know some of them that I, I've talked to, it's like, well, you can go here for this, but I know that they do it here as well. And that's a bit of a different cost or whatever. They kind of have some really good local knowledge to help and, uh, you know, advise you on what the different costs are going to be. Sorry, I was going to say, like, one of the hospitals where I work does not have a lymphedema service. So we have to refer externally um, to private um, providers mm. so yeah so obviously that that would be mm. a, an out-of-pocket cost that's associated with that because it's not a service that, that that hospital offers unfortunately okay okay so again yeah as you mentioned like it's what the provision for the hospital it is as well what resources they actually have access to so that's talking a bit about public then. Let's talk about private. And as I mentioned, we're not going to talk about costs for private because that's all variable and it's all specific to a surgeon. And as you said, what, um, what their rates are and how that, that differs from the schedule fee and what the gap is, is all very specific to that. But we mentioned as well, it's important, isn't it, to ask those questions up front when you first contact them. So... One of the questions is can be around appointments, can't it? When you make that first appointment, you can ask them, can't you, what the cost of that appointment is? And it's your right to do that, isn't it? Yes, and I think um, I don't think you'd come across a circumstance where someone wouldn't tell you what the cost of the um, appointment is. I mean, we all have a set fee um, for you know initial consult, follow-up consult. So um, a lot of that might be published mm -hmm. on a um, surgeon's website or not but certainly you can mm -hmm. um when you ring to make the appointment the um person booking your appointment should be able to tell you yeah I found it really awkward actually to ask like I said I'd come from the UK and I did have private healthcare cover here I needed it because of the visa that I originally came on and um to have that to have that question to ask that question rather when I phoned up made an appointment I just found it really awkward to ask like what is you know what are the costs for the appointment but nobody's going to bat an eyelid are they if you ask that in the private setting no and I mean you're not asking that question of the surgeon or your doctor so um uh, no, I don't know. I mean, mm. I hear my staff all the time saying, you know, I, I don't bulk bill as a rule. So, you know, that we're not a bulk billing practice. This mm. is a charge. You, This is what you would expect to your, your rebate to be. Mm. Um, if that's an issue, mm. then I would suggest that they, you know, we can provide alternatives or um, go be seen at a public clinic. Um, so there are always options. Mm. Mm. And as you mentioned as well there, the initial consult might be a different cost, mightn't it, than subsequent consults yeah. as well? Yes, there's a different yeah. item number for, for those um, different types of consultations and a different re rebate. Mm. And thinking about the actual surgery then in the private setting, um, we're hearing a lot about informed financial consent and that is in relation to a lot of the news that's happening around uh, cosmetic surgery. But um, informed financial consent is also something that relates to the private setting, isn't it, for breast reconstruction? What is informed financial consent? Yeah, well, surgeons, we've been doing informed financial consent for, well, you know, since we've been in practice, but it has been a requirement, mm -hmm. I think, for over a decade. And that is that um, there's an expectation that you will have explained your costs, your, your likely costs um, to a patient before you book their surgery, except obviously in an emergency situation, which is 
not what we're talking about today. So, you know, mm. after the discussion and, you know, maybe booking or consenting process for an operation, then a patient would be provided with a written um, quote. So that would um, typically it includes the um, item numbers that cover your operation and the fee and your likely rebate and your likely out-of-pocket. Mm. Um, you know, my for me, we would then, the, the anaesthetists um, would do the, their quote separately and we might have a rough, you know, about mm. on, on my informed financial consent on my quote might include what that um, may be, but they would get a... Um, the same sort of document from the anaesthetist. Um, the issue where it can become a bit unclear, I mean, most um, policies have an excess, so often you have to pay the first maybe $500, whatever is declared, you know, for your insurance. Um, it's different for different products, but or mm-hmm. it's different if you've been in hospital um, several times that year. For some of them, once you've paid, you know, some have a, a maximum excess. So there's that out-of-pocket that's between... Uh, what what you have to pay to cover your hospital stay. Um, each mm. of the funds have agreements with the private hospital providers. So there are obviously the big groups, so Ramsey, HealthScope, um, some of the bigger, um, they negotiate a package um, with the health funds. And if you're being treated in a hospital that does not have an agreement um, with your health fund, then you may find that you are you have more out-of-pockets for things that happen while you're in hospital that's separate to the surgeon's fees so Mm. radiology pathology if this is not a direct agreement um, then you may find that you're not Mm. um, covered for everything and that's hard to know like even Mm. myself as a surgeon I only realized that a particular large fund did not have an agreement with the radiology provider that I use for my patients when they're inpatients at a hospital because they Mm. said that they had quite a significant out-of-pocket and I was like, oh, that should all be covered, but um, but it wasn't. Mm. And I only knew that once it was brought to mm. the attention, my attention by a patient who happened to be a doctor as well. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so um, so there, I think there are some hidden and or unex- not maybe things that you might not expect. Um, and sometimes mm. we as surgeons maybe don't always know that there's not an agreement. You just assume, say, if it's mm. Medibank, private and it's a big hospital that there's an agreement but um in fact there's not so um and you have limited options if you because we only operate at certain hospitals we don't say um operate at all the private hospitals in our area and so um if your surgeon operates in a facility that doesn't have an agreement with your health fund then that can also be a a, obviously an awkward conversation to have about are you going to change mm. surgeons because mm. of the agreement between your health insurance and and the hospital in which they operate. It's mm. so really important that having that conversation, obviously, to get the quote <laughs> from the surgeon, but then with the healthcare provider, isn't it? And and also you can ring your there, you can have yeah ring your health fund and say these are the item numbers because. Mm. Sometimes people don't find out they're not covered. They think they've got a top-level cover, or they th- but when they actually mm. need to use it, I mean, I think that's all been um, improved since they you know, developed that tier system, whether you've got bronze, silver or gold cover. But I used to see some young patients mm. who had a particular sort of cover that didn't treat them 
it didn't cover them for cancer treatment because mm. most young people mm. don't get cancer, but it was a product where the they didn't really understand that and it was only when they had to have an operation that they suddenly found out that they weren't covered by their health fund. So you can ring your health fund, you can mm. ask, I think you can probably go on the health fund's mm. websites and find out which hospitals they have agreements with. So, mm. um, but the easy, you know, you can... Um, probably should check with your health fund as well as to what you're covered for. Yeah, yeah. I, I always try to ring them just because, I mean, I, I could read it and then I was just like, oh, I'm just still going to check yeah, this, you yeah. know, and I'd call them with uh, once I got the quote. And also, um, as you mentioned, the you know, checking with if checking the item numbers but also the hospital as well because it is those different agreements, isn't it, on the different hospitals, Um but yeah, I know I was surprised, for instance, when I was in for one of my surgeries and I needed um, this incentive spirometer to get my lungs going. I needed to be breathing and making sure I was doing all that. And I got a charge for it afterwards. And I just, you know, it just, and I don't think anybody probably realized it was recommended by a physio. Um, and just for me, it was just a, a real surprise. That everything wasn't covered. You know, don't be worried to have those conversations um, with the practice, with the breast care nurse, healthcare providers, but also your health, uh, health fund providers, if you are considering going private and to ask those questions um everyone's happy about having those questions i think i think there and um you mentioned the mentioned the cost there and you know you might want to go and see another surgeon i've actually heard of patients negotiating with surgeons as well where they've been given a quote and they've actually said that's a little bit too high for me and um they have been able to chat to the practice about it and sort of um, arrive at uh, an acceptable quote there. So um, that's something I've heard of as well that I didn't even think to do. <laughs> no, I mean, I can just speak from personal experience. If someone, if I give someone a quote and mm. then they say there's an issue with it, then usually my staff will bring it back to me and then we can, mm. you know, consider whether I reduce my gap um, or I suggest that, mm. you know, I mean, I operate in public and private, so I can just, I can put someone on a public waiting list. If you see a surgeon who doesn't mm. have a public appointment, then, because maybe that's another question to ask when you're going to see someone, if you're thinking that you might have, um, want to end up being treated in the public system is whether they work in public mm. and private. Um, so, mm. um, it, you can have a discussion. It may be an awkward discussion for everyone, but there's no harm in asking mm. or you, you could be told no, there's no, but, you know, if you, if you don't ask, you, you'll, you know, you won't find out if you can, um, if, there yeah. is, if there's any leeway in that gap. Mm. Yeah. It is a little bit awkward, isn't it? And, you know, we're talking about this kind of, in the podcasts that I do and the lives that I've done and all the surgeons, it's about how have, let's have this two-way dialogue about uh, reconstruction options. And then we all start thinking about the financial aspects and everyone's like, eek, you know, like, yeah. but I think if we can have, it's all respectful conversations and be open about it. And then we all know what we're, you know, what we're working with, like, like you said. I, and I was thinking about some of the things that we need to consider to ask a, a surgeon about, um, and I was thinking about some of the things I'd kind of asked when um, I went in for my DEP. Um, and it's just some of those things that you might need to consider. And one of the things, you know, we don't want to think about it, but it's like what happens if complications happen, you know. So one of my questions was for anyone considering a DEP, you know, if my DEP 
flat fails and I have to go back in, what happens with the costs for that? And I think there are some of the questions that you can ask a surgeon um, just to understand. And I guess with any surgery, isn't it? What, you know, if something goes awry, how are the costs covered in that way? I think that's a, a good question to ask. Yeah, I mean, you would. I would certainly have the expectation that if you have to go back to theatre for a complication, then there's usually no cost involved mm. in that return to theatre. That's part mm. of what's included in the yeah. in the gap that you pay initially, mm. um, or are paying initially. Yeah. If it's, I mean, the issue like with a DAP, usually it's a critical thing that happens, you know, within the first mm. day of you having the surgery, but. The, the issue would be if you've been discharged and you have to be readmitted to mm. deal with a, a complication. So most mm. surgeons, I would hope and expect, most surgeons, we tend not to charge an out-of-pocket when we're dealing with a complication. But if you have another hospital admission, yeah. then you have another maybe another excess to pay for the admission and, you know, some of the mm. other costs. Um, if you had to pay for them the first time around, there may be, um, depending on, again, like your cover, level of cover. But I would expect that the surge, you, yeah. and the anaesthetist, because it might be a different anaesthetist and, and so forth. But generally, as surgeons, um, I think we don't tend to charge an out-of-pocket when dealing, yeah. dealing with, certainly with an acute complication. Yeah, I was advised there wouldn't be a, surgical, a surgeon cost, rather, but the obviously the anaesthetist is different and I think that comes down to again it's the recognition that there are those different practitioners involved aren't there on the team just like with with some of the surgeries like uh Dieppe you know there is a, a an additional surgeon that's in there as well that you might need to get a quote for yeah well you I think for that I think for that with the two surgeon that's the you know usual way that that surgeon operates and you would probably expect that that part of it would be on the initial quote including the cost of the other surgeon or, or a general um, likely um, what their potential out-of-pocket or whether that's wrapped up all in the, the single out-of-pocket for a Dieppe. Um, and often if you are going back mm. that night it's often the same anaesthetist so they may have charged you a gap at the beginning and not necessarily mm. do that for the return to theatre. But, again, it's um, yeah. different in different circumstances and different individuals and different doctors and so it's hard to yeah. generalise as a rule. Um, but often I know certainly the plastic surgeons that I work with that that bigger, let's not put we won't put any numbers on anything, but that bigger out-of-pocket that you pay, say, for a DEP would often cover any subsequent um, surgery that you may not necessarily have an out-of-pocket if you do need a little adjustment or um, the nipple reconstruction mm. or something like that those other operations that come after yeah yeah it's very individual isn't it I had there were separate uh, quotes for me I had a separate quote for the uh, co-surgeon uh, the anaesthetist and the lead and then they were separate for the follow-up uh, phase two revision um so yeah it's it yeah it's just it's just really inter I mean it changes you know like even in Sydney it's different from, yeah, from, from surgeon to surgeon from Melbourne. but I think also yeah. that's a question that you can ask you can say okay this is not going to be yeah. one operation I'm paying this for this does that mean that I'm going to have a similar mm. out-of-pocket for the subsequent procedures and how many subsequent procedures you know on average do people need who have this operation because, um, you know, implant-based yeah. reconstruction is much more likely to require some revisions as opposed to 
your own tissue. Mm. But I always tell all patients that a breast reconstruction, even done in the immediate setting, is usually not a single operation. So there are usually some mm. other procedures that are, are going to follow. So, I mean, I think that's a question that you can ask at the at the very beginning um, about the whole yeah. journey. Yeah. Uh, I know that's an overused term, but yeah. that in terms of your reconstruction. Yeah. And yeah, let's try and open it up and, and like, you know, look, I'm I'm kind of getting all squeamishy talking about it now in this podcast. <laughs> like kind of about like, money. Yeah. So I mean we get squeamish. We get doctors, yeah, we get squeamish about it too. Like I know. Often you just let your staff deal with it and so it can be it's something that we're not particularly taught about in medical school. It's not really part of our training and no. so but we are running businesses, we have costs to cover. You know, we pay rent, insurance, staff. Mm-hmm. There, you know, it's it's not um, it's not in, you know insignificant the costs, and so that's why mm-hmm. I know people mm-hmm. find it hard to understand in terms of I've got insurance and why are there still gaps, and that is, that's because the rebates that mm-hmm. the health funds pay are still tied to the fee that that government that the government sets. It's twenty five percent of you know they and they pay mm-hmm. they have some incentives if we use particularly some of their billing schemes and so forth that you know the patient gets you get back more if I bill you a certain way um so um but it is it is very complicated I think more so for patients but it is not so simple for us sometimes either But let's start to gently open up this conversation (laughs) to make it a little bit more a little bit less awkward and um and also, you know, it's, it's it's acknowledging that we do have this, the two health systems here, so we need to be able to openly have those conversations and ask the question, asking the question is all okay. Respectfully asking a question about something is fine. And I'd say, look, if you, sometimes, you know, we talk about self-advocacy in some of the episodes that we've done and what we say is that sometimes you might not feel comfortable asking the question face-to-face and if you don't, you can just send an email to the practice <laughs> and ask them. Yes. Uh, and then just some other things like, yes, just, you know, like a follow, it's okay, isn't it, just to send an email, practice manager, and and, and they'll be able to explain everything to you and, and not be, fa- they won't be phased by that at all. No, that's part of their job, so... Yes, I was just thinking about some of the other costs that you might want to ask, and I'm not saying that surgeons do charge these as extra, but I think it's just to be informed, just like you're making informed decisions about the type of reconstruction you want. Um, be informed about, you know, your your finances. You can only give financial consent if you're informed financial consent if you are informed. And maybe just asking some things around, you know, if you're having follow-up appointments, are they all included in the quote and things like that? If you do need any um, preoperative scans, you know, what are the costs for those and really you know the practice will be really happy to have those conversations um, with you so thank you Mel thank you so much um, this awkward conversation that we've been having and dancing about um, if I could just say something um, about so yeah. we talked about the schedule and the item numbers so for surgeons the item number includes six weeks of post-operative care so you shouldn't be billed additionally after you have been billed for the operation. Um, there are some exceptions okay. for that. So we may bill as something as not normal aftercare if something out of the ordinary has happened. Um, but 
the mm. the item number does include six weeks um, post-operative care. So the first six-week visits, there usually should not be a fee associated with that. Okay, thank you. And would that, if there's additional wound care that's needed, you know, if something's, and I'm thinking of, you know, some of the, particularly around some of the uh, autologous yeah. reconstruction um that should all be co covered, with, you would think, within that? Well, that might be felt to be not normal aftercare if you have a big wound breakdown. And certainly okay. um, for anyone who's had that, you know, the, the often the most expensive part of that is dressings and you'll find that a lot of the health funds mm. do not cover dressings, unfortunately. So um, some some mm. do and if you have those a negative pressure dressing, um you know, some 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 health funds cover those, some do not, and you you're probably not necessarily going to anticipate that you might need a whole a prolonged course of dressings mm -hmm. after an operation. So, um, uh, yeah, and as I said, it's different between different health funds. Um, so, and certainly, I think um, you know, implants are all covered. They're on the prosthesis list. So, anything that's on the prosthesis list. Um, you know, the private health funds have to cover. Um, so all the breast implants mm. are, are, are covered. Um, sometimes mm. that you may see some costs and it might be something that's not on the prosthesis list um, that a surgeon's used during an mm. operation that you may, the hospital, the private hospitals usually just wear the cost of that. And, um, uh, mm. But it may be something that you see on an itemised bill from a hospital. Okay. All right, thank you. We've covered quite a lot off here, Mel. Thank you so much. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add? I know there's so much to it, but is there anything else you wanted to add that you thought might be um, of interest there? Um, I don't think I have anything more sort of factually to add. I think, you know, as, you, as we've not alluded to, we've, um, you know, just said it, it can be awkward and difficult, but um, it's much better to have a conversation up front and rather than get a nasty surprise um, at the end of it all. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, you do always have options. Um, I know it's an emotive time. You've just been diagnosed with cancer and you just sort of like you want to get the operation done as soon as possible. But um, there is always time to you know make a considered decision and and some and sometimes that does have to be financial I know people talk about I always feel uncomfortable when people um, tell me they're cashing in super to fund treatment and I think because there are options to be mm. you know you can get the same treatment in the public system maybe not um, you know with all the same doctors or you know all the same amount of choice but you should be able to be treated um, well in in our system you know for all the faults in our system it is a it's a good system most things are covered um you know you do have access to good level cancer care um in mm. i would say most of the country or around the country but you know i mean certainly people in the northern territory mm. and and certain remote parts of wa obviously have to travel quite a bit but otherwise you do you do have you do have options and you shouldn't feel pressured yeah. into a big financial commitment if you don't have the money to do that. Yeah, yeah. And into that financial distress. Particularly, yeah. I suppose yeah. it's probably Thank more, you. That's more, really... 
yeah. more of an issue now with all the other financial stresses that are around at the moment. Thank you, Melanie. That is a really important point to make um, there. Thank you. And yeah, let's open this uh, discussion up and let's all try and be a little bit less awkward about it, me included, um, about it. It's okay to ask these questions. As with all your care, respectfully questioning is okay. That is part of your self-advocacy. And if you don't feel you can do it face-to-face, drop a little drop a little email. That's that's all good. So thanks so much, Melanie. Um great to chat to you um in you in in uh, cooler melbourne <laughs> and being, well, thank you uh, for having me. me um oh it's been a pleasure thank you so much um yeah it's you know i know there's so much more to delve into but i think we really covered off that generalistic that we as much as we can do it is very specific when it comes to private health care funds but ask the questions of your funds as well as asking the questions of your um med- medical practitioners um and what i will do as well the australian medical association they have it's about a four-page guide to uh, for patients on the um, how the healthcare system funds medical care. Um, I will put that as a link in the episode notes. So if anybody wants to look that up, I found that really helpful. And also the Cancer Council have some resources. I'll link those through on there as well. Thanks again, Melanie. Um, before we finish off then, as regular listeners know, I ask guests to share a lyric or a line from a song or poem they just need to read it they don't need to sing it so that's all good so Melanie what would you like to read out to listeners today um well as I said to you before I think this was the hardest part that I had to think about um this whole whole, um, podcast although I did have to look up some of the Medicare (laughs) details um I've been following a band for a long time they're called Gomez they're a UK band and actually they have a song that's called How We Operate um And so I've just taken Mm. a couple of lines from this song, which is turn me inside out and upside down and try to see things my way. Turn a new page, tear the old one out, and I'll try to see things your way. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love that. And a bit of Gomez as well, the UK (laughs) band. I like it. Yeah, yeah. And I think just what we've been talking about as well, we're all feeling a bit awkward about this financial conversation. It's like we're all feeling it from both sides, aren't we? Um, But, um, yeah, fabulous. Thank you so much, Melanie. Thanks again for all your time and, you know, explaining this. Um, And, you know, I know you've prepared and researched as well and talking to your practice about this as well because, you know, we want to get the... uh, information out there to the audience so thanks very much you're welcome and thanks to listeners um for listening as always if you've enjoyed this episode uh please follow rate share and review as you know rewritten me is a patient advocate independent podcasts so any help in getting the word out there would greatly be appreciated And do let me know if there's any topics that you'd like me to cover. Uh, We've got quite a lot of topics that are coming up and are just going through editing, waiting to be released. But if there's anything specifically that you'd like me to cover, do let me know. Um, And there's also some kind of developments that have been happening to some of the podcasts that we've done previously that I'm actually going to be doing updates on Instagram Live as well because there's only so many podcasts that we can drop. So keep your eyes and ears out for that. So that just leaves me to say thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye now. 
thank you for listening to the Rewritten Me podcast, produced on the traditional lands of the Camaray Gal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. If you found any of the content upsetting, please reach out and get help. Breast Cancer Network Australia have a free confidential helpline, 1800 500 258. And Beyond Blue have a range of free resources online at beyondblue.org.au. Or you can call them on 1300 224 636. And a reminder that the information in this podcast does not constitute medical advice. For personalised medical advice, you should seek a consult with a FRAX qualified surgeon or an equally qualified surgeon in your country.